In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We read in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. What a beautiful verse with which to begin this time of prayer, this time of mental prayer, dialogue and contemplation with our Lord. He led them apart by themselves. And this is what our Lord does with us. Each time, Lord Jesus, that we set, a t- we set aside time to pray, quiet time with you, we think that we're doing it, and in a sense we are, we have to do our part. But it's also something, Lord, that you're doing. You are taking us apart by ourselves to be with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time of prayer. Thank you for always being there, pulling me back towards you. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. The church puts this beautiful and mysterious scene of the transfiguration before our eyes and our hearts every year on this second Sunday of Lent. And this is following a very, very old tradition that the Transfiguration, the Feast of the Transfiguration, used to be celebrated exactly 40 days before the celebration of Good Friday. And so if if you break out your calendar, you realize that Exactly 40 days from today, we, we, um, will celebrate Good Friday. We should say commemorate it. It's hard to say that we celebrate Good Friday. So we have this contrast between Mount Tabor, on which our Lord is transfigured, and Mount Calvary, on which our Lord is offered to the Father, offers himself to the Father in death. And this is, this is emblematic of the spiritual life. That in the spiritual life we have ups and downs. C.S. Lewis made this point very wisely and very well in the screw tape letters. He talks about undulations in the spiritual life. That there, there are moments of great light, moments like the transfiguration and Calvary, great light, great consolation great certitude, 
But there are also moments of darkness, of desolation, where we really have to walk by faith and not by sight. There are these peaks and valleys in our spiritual life. And if we think about what happens to our Lord from now until the resurrection, again, we see these, we see these peaks and valleys. Palm Sunday is a great peak. The people acclaim him, the son of David. They welcome him into Jerusalem. And then a few days later, we have the betrayal by Judas commemorated on Spy Wednesday, the Wednesday before Holy Thursday. A great valley, a great moment of darkness. Followed, of course, by that wonderful moment of light, Holy Thursday, the institution of the Eucharist. And that quickly leads into another valley, the agony in the garden, the passion of our Lord, the death of our Lord. And then three days later, we get the greatest peak, the greatest moment of exaltation ever, the resurrection of our Lord on Easter Sunday. So we see that, that our Lord's, our Lord's path from now until, until Easter is, is filled with these contrasts, moments of acceptance, moments of glory, moments of certitude, and also these great moments of pain, of doubt, of darkness, suffering. We reflect on our own life, Lord, in your presence, and we realize that in the same day, there are ups and downs. In the same day, I can have moments where I feel good, things are going well, I'm being generous, I'm doing the right thing. And other moments, Lord, when I give in to my, to my weakness, and, and I don't feel so good. And perhaps I even sin and abandon you. In the morning offering that many Catholics pray, we offer to our Lord the joys and sorrows of this day. The joys and the sorrows, the ups and the downs. And if we have joys and sorrows in the same day, periods that are better and periods that are worse, certainly also in the same life we'll have longer periods of of joy, of upswings, and then also of difficulty, of trial, of more dark moments. And and that experience is very important for our interior life, very, infor- very important for our spiritual life. We can ask our Lord for light to see this, that the transition from one phase to the next was summarized by one spiritual writer in this way, that we have to move from loving the gifts of God to loving the God of gifts. When we're on Tabor, when we're in that peak experience of knowing that God's, God loves us, of, in a certain sense, experiencing, feeling His closeness, uh, feeling perhaps our own goodness, our own, our own progress, being aware that we're in a good state, we can love the gifts of God. And that's fine. We need to, we need to love those consolations, those graces that God gives us in those moments. But when they're removed, when we move to a state that the spiritual authors call desolation, a state in which the cross is on our shoulders, we feel it more heavily. Well, then we have to, we have to be very supernatural about it. And it's a chance to move from loving the gifts of God, those graces and consolations that he gives us in those Tabor moments 
to loving the God of gifts, to loving God for himself in his own right, for who he is and not for what he does for us. And this is represented by the contrast between these two mountains, Mount Tabor, the Mount of the Transfiguration, this moment of light, of consolation, of confirmation, and Mount Calvary, the Mount of the Cross, this moment of darkness, of anguish, of apparent abandonment. St. Josemaria used to tell people, you're called to Calvary, not Tabor. Jesus says, whoever would be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And yet our Lord knows our weakness, and he knows that although we're called daily to, to bear that cross, we also need moments of light, moments of certitude, moments of encouragement, moments on Mount Tabor. And Lord Jesus, we see a link. There's a link between Tabor and Calvary. Even, Lord, in your transfigured state on Mount Tabor, when you're revealing your divinity, you're looking forward to Calvary. This is actually what our Lord is talking about with Moses and Elijah. The Gospel of Matthew tells us this. And they were speaking about his exodus, Matthew writes. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Our Lord is talking about his death, talking about offering his life on Calvary with Moses and Elijah. When things are going well, when we're experiencing that joy, that sweetness in our prayer, it's good for us to ask ourselves, well, why is God giving this to me? Why this grace? Why this excellent experience of his closeness, of his goodness? And we should realize it's not an end in itself, although it should be enjoyed. God makes it enjoyable so that we can enjoy it. It should really lead us to love God more, to thank him by being more faithful, to feeling a push of grace, to commit ourselves more to deeds of love, deeds of thanksgiving. And this, it seems, is what our Lord is what our Lord does with the transfiguration. He's transfigured, he's showing his divinity. He's seeing these two wonderful figures of the history of Israel. And he talks to them about what he has to do, about God's will, about God's plan, about what's coming. His exodus from this world, which is about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. So, Lord, when we have these peak moments, when we have these moments on Tabor, help us to be like you, to, to use it to think about how to give more, to plan for the cross to bolster our sense of mission. Peter's reaction to the transfiguration is so understandable. He wants to stay there. He wants to make it last. He doesn't want to go back down to normal life after seeing this wonderful confirmation of our Lord's divinity. Rabbi, it is good that we are here, Peter cries out. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, And one for Elijah, he hardly knew what to say. Rabbi, it is good that we are here. What a wonderful sentiment, Lord, for us to to express to you personally in our prayer. Rabbi, teacher, it's good that we are here. It's good to spend this time alone with you. It's good to be with you. 
in our prayer and in our whole existence. Thank you, Lord, for creating me to live in your presence, to live in communion with you, to live in this give and take, this relationship with you in which you give me graces and you see how I will use my freedom with your help to respond to it. Rabbi, it's good that we're here. It's good that I exist. It's good that you've given me the challenges that you've given me in my life. It's good that you give me all these blessings. And like Peter, Lord, I want to stay here. I want to stay right where you want me. So Peter's reaction is normal to this state of favor, this state of consolation. He says, this is great. (laughs) What a moment for Peter. He's seeing our Lord's divinity shine through his humanity. He's seeing Elijah and Moses. What a wonderful, amazing experience it must have been for Peter and James and John to see Moses. The figure of Moses for them was like George Washington and St. Francis of Assisi rolled into one, this tremendous cultural, religious, historical, national figure. To see Elijah the prophet would be like kind of like for us seeing Gandhi and St. Augustine and John Lennon rolled into one. This great theological, spiritual figure, true rebel. And to see our Lord transfigured, confirmed for them something that they had started to believe. We knew there was something special about him. We knew and we started to believe that he was the Son of God. Now we have some proof. We've seen his divinity shine through. We can understand why Peter wanted to stay there. What a great moment. He's loving the gifts of God. He wants to stay in this ecstatic state. And yet the gospel says he didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what that experience was for. It was an encouragement. It was a strengthening. But it wasn't an end in itself. It wasn't the final reward. And our Lord's reaction to the whole scene confirms this point. Right after showing them his divinity, he talks to them about about his coming passion. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. After this experience, this manifestation of his divinity, therefore, in which the disciples are blown away, and Peter says, hey, let's stay right here. Our Lord says, no, basically we have to go back down the mountain, back into ordinary life, and I'm going to face the cross. I'm going to suffer at their hands. And spiritually, this means that our moments of light in this life, our our foretastes of heaven in this life, those special moments of grace, are not an end in themselves, like, like Peter and And James and John, our Lord will say, okay, now it's time for the cross. Let's, let's 
walk down Tabor and then enter into the Passion. This is to help us to do God's will. Another connection, Lord, that we see between your transfiguration and your Passion is that both take place in prayer. Our Lord leads the disciples up the mountain to be apart by themselves. And when we consider other scenes in the Gospel, in which our Lord goes into the wilderness, or goes up off into a, to a, into the hills, or onto a mountain, we realize that He's going there to pray. He's going there to be alone with His Father. And sometimes He brings the disciples along with Him. We can't imagine that the transfiguration occurred just kind of haphazardly while our Lord was talking to Peter and James and John about something else, right? They're talking about, I don't know, chariot races in Rome, and then all of a sudden, our Lord is transfigured and Moses and Eliza show up. No, it's it's much more fitting and and much, much more likely that our Lord was praying before he entered into this transfigured state and the, and the apostles were witnessing his prayer, participating in his prayer. And this is the same for us. Our consolations will normally come in our prayer life. Those moments of clarity, of light, of closeness to our Lord will normally come because we've committed ourselves to prayer and while we're praying. And the apostles are not just thinking about things. They're not just thinking about themselves in this scene. They're entering into our Lord's prayer. They're in a dialogue with Him and through Him, they're in a dialogue with God the Father. And just as Tabor takes place in prayer, this moment of light, this peak experience takes place in the context of prayer, so too Calvary takes place in prayer. Our Lord's Prayer during His Passion starts in the Last Supper. Lord, you pray throughout that dinner. The dinner becomes this great prayer, the priestly prayer of our Lord in St. John, the institution of the Eucharist in the other Gospels. That prayer, Lord, continues as you move into your Passion in the agony in the garden. And then you continue praying and the whole passion and crucifixion and your death become a prayer and your last words are a prayer into your hands I commend my spirit just like our Lord our peak experiences our tabor experiences will be found in our prayer in the context of prayer but then also our our crosses our calvaries our agonies in the garden have to be prayer and this is extremely important for our interior life and our life because there's no real difference between our interior life and our life keep praying don't stop praying we need to pray through our difficulties we need to keep turning to our lord no matter how we're talking to him keep praying sometimes we have sometimes we have to sometimes we want to yell at our lord we want to complain well, go ahead, yell and complain. It's better than than not talking to him. But then after we yell and complain, maybe we can say, okay, Lord, if I'm wrong, 
I'm sorry. Give me a give me a bigger heart to accept this trial, to accept this challenge. Give me more faith and more trust. But if we get upset and we have to complain and cry out to him and perhaps even sometimes yell at him, well, that's better than not praying. It's better than not talking to him. He wants to see us as we are. But then keep talking. When we calm down, we realize, oh, perhaps I shouldn't talk to God that way. We say, Lord, I'm sorry I lost my temper, but Lord, this is hard and I need your help. Look at me. Look how how distraught I am. Just to be ourselves and to, and to keep talking. This is what our Lord does in his passion. He keeps talking to God. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which in a way is the way we're going to pray when we're, when we're suffering. Where are you, God? What have you done? What the heck's going on here? But then it's followed by trust. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. We need to pray through the rough times in our life. St. James says this, if, is anyone sad? Let him pray. Is anyone among you sad? Let him pray. Meet God in your sadness. Meet God in your depression. Meet God in your anxiety. Whatever happens, keep, keep praying. Keep talking to him. Don't stop. St. Paul gives this advice to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is near. You, you might not feel it, you might not know it, but it's a fact. The Lord is near. And so the answer is, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, no matter how difficult, how painful, how scary, how sad, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Keep, <laughs> keep praying. Don't stop praying. Lord Jesus, we ask you for the grace to remember these lessons, these lessons we learn in our prayer. Help us to take them right, right into our life, right into those into those experiences of sadness, experiences of anxiety, of frustration, of anger, of our needs to forgive. Help us to remember that that you are God and you are with us. You want to help us. You're the same Jesus who was transfigured. You're the same Jesus who died on the cross for us. You're the same Jesus who overcame death and, and sin in the resurrection. It's helpful and interesting for us to note that the same three apostles who are with our Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration, on Mount Tabor, are the ones who are closest to him and with him in the Mount of Olives. They are given this privilege of seeing this great moment of glory so that they're prepared to witness our Lord in his, in his lowest moment of desolation. Our Lord wants them to store up the memory of the transfiguration so that it helps them later to weather the agony 
and the Passion. He only appears to these three when he is so sorrowful and and sweating blood and seemingly hesitating before God's plan, before God's will, in the agony in the garden. And the spiritual lesson here is that he wants us to do the same. That the moments of light, the moments of special grace, those moments when God, God's love seems more, more palpable, more real to us, that they move us to respond to God's will, but they're also a kind of treasure that we hang on to. We store them up in our memory so that when things are harder, when things are darker, we can think back to those moments of consolation. We can remind ourselves with God's grace of God's love for us. We remind ourselves that it, that it always, it wasn't always this hard. The things, things aren't always this bad, this dark. And so there were moments of light before, and therefore there's no reason that God can't give me those same consolations again. There's no reason to think that things will, will always be this difficult or this painful. We use those memories to, to, tell ourselves the truth that things were better once and they could be better again and that this is part of his plan for me this moment of darkness this moment of greater fidelity this moment of generosity because all crosses are an opportunity to be very generous with our Lord to keep trusting him to keep loving in spite of the difficulty entailed and we see that this is this is precisely the impact that the transfiguration had on St. Peter, on the first pope, it had, a, it had a huge impact on his spiritual life and on his mission. In Peter's second letter, he is he's telling the first Christians that what, that what we're experiencing in Christianity is not a myth. It's not something made up by religious people to help other people understand life or to commit to certain practices. But it's a reality. These are historical, these are historical events that were experienced by witnesses. And in mentioning this, Peter points precisely to the Transfiguration as, as a special moment of clarity, which is kind of amazing, right? That Peter witnessed the resurrection. Peter witnessed all sorts of miracles. Peter walked on water <laughs> for crying out loud. And yet when he, yet when he, when he says to the first Christians, look, I'm not making this up. This really happened. The thing that he points to is the transfiguration. Peter writes, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What a beautiful way of thinking about 
our own consolations, our own experiences of strong faith of God's presence. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is what Peter did with the transfiguration. He stored it up in his heart. It was something that he could never forget. And it led him to be so faithful to our Lord, even to the point of supreme faithfulness of martyrdom on a cross. As we know, Peter was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified and die in the way that his Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, was executed on the cross. Lord, help us to learn these important lessons that you give us Mount Tabor, these moments of light, of joy, of peace, so that we can face the moments of Mount Calvary, of darkness, of trial, of testing. Our Lady's life also had this undulation. The Church has devotion to her seven joys and seven sorrows, and they're all closely connected. Her joys are closely connected to her sorrows. And so sometimes there's not too much space or time at all between our being on Mount Tabor with our Lord in glory, our telling our Lord, hey, Lord, let's stay right here forever. <laughs> let's make three tents. And by contrast, our our journey to Mount Calvary, where we say, hey, Lord, as soon as possible, let's get this over with. If it's po- Like our Lord prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. They can come they can come right one on top of the other. Our joys and our sorrows, they're closely connected. But there's a thread. There's a thread in our Lord's joys and sorrows. There's a thread in our Lady's joys and sorrows that connects them all. And that's the, that's the will of God. Loving God's will because we want to love Him. We know that He loves us. Doing God's will so that we can follow His plan for us. Being faithful to His love for me, being faithful also in my response, in my response to him. So we ask Our Lady, help us like her, to expertly link together our joys and our sorrows, our ups and our downs, our tabers and our, and our calvaries, with the thread of our love for God, based on this wonderful trust in his love for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.